Today's scripture comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Yes, one verse. I, I'm trying to go farther. I just can't. I figured I used to be able to go as far as I wanted to, but now we have two services and you guys got to get out so the other people can get in. And All right, so we're all organized now. So, Hey, so how are we? Are we good? Um... My name is Tommy. I'm the pastor here, and uh, um, I'm, I'm excited about today. I got into this passage, and I found some stuff that I thought was just fascinating. I'm a, I'm a history guy. I love history, um, and um, I love reading the belief systems of ancient peoples and, um, and seeing the context in which Christians were, were um, starting this whole thing known as the church. And so... Um, I think there's some stuff here that's pretty fascinating, so we're going to talk about it. And first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and ask God for, uh, uh, for guidance this morning, that he will guide us, lead us where he wants us to go, and um, that uh, he would bless us. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father, we love you. I ask that you would um, speak to us this morning, bind us in unity, um, give us direction, give us purpose, um, shine a light on our hearts, reveal the things that we need to cleanse from our hearts and minds. Um, your word is powerful and it's able to change our directions the course of our lives and I ask that you would do that for whoever needs that this morning whoever is is on the right path I ask that you would solidify that in their hearts today Um, give us strength to uh, rise above the things that that we don't need to be a part of and and, uh, the wisdom to know what those things are we love you Father allow me to speak freely allow me to uh, to remember the things I've studied and uh, just give us, uh, give us joy, give us some happiness. A lot of people bring heavy things into this room and allow them to put those aside for now to know that they're not going to solve them in the next half hour. So let's just be here together with you and our brothers and sisters. We love you. In your name. Amen. All right. So let's do this. Um, so we're going to start off by going back to a previous passage. I know we just got to chapter two, but, but I keep going back to the same verse every week. You might... Um, have noticed that because I think this verse is kind of key to tying um, chapter 1 and chapter 2 together. Uh, it's chapter 1, verse 22, and it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, um, if you've been here for the last month or so, you've heard me say over and over again, that word souls right there is not talking about our, our eternal spiritual souls. It's the word suke, which means it's the word where we get the word um, psych- psychology. So all of that it has to do with our minds, our life. Um, it has to do with, uh, so it's, it's not your eternal spiritual soul, it's you. It's how you, who you are, how you live, it's your life. Um, having purified your souls, your life, if you will, by your obedience to the truth. So the word truth here is this Greek word aletheia. Um, this is an architectural term. This term has to do with foundations. Uh, it means firm, solid, immovable. It has to do with... Um, Building a building on a firm surface that will not move. And then if, something, if you find a surface like that, that's a good thing to build a house on because um, it's going to be there a long time. And so having purified your, your life, if you will, by your obedience uh, to the truth, to Aletheia, things that don't move. Now, um, the, in Christianity, the truth is always our guide. In Christianity, um, I know it doesn't seem like it today. I know you can look around and, and you constantly hear Christians are hypocrites. You kind of hear this all the time. But the way it is supposed to be for followers of Jesus is pure and utter honesty. 
Um, the truth is our guide. If you want to know what to do in any situation, if you want to know how to act, how to respond, um, what your online presence should look like, all of it, the truth is your guide. Um, and so, have you? Uh, I've I've noticed something that that I that I think is pretty great, pretty funny. I've noticed it about myself and other people that whenever we are having um, a yard sale, we tend to not invite our friends. And I know I. I typically don't, at least not at first, because I want some stuff to get sold first to people who don't know me. Um, because most of us are pretty embarrassed by the things that are in our garage. Um, there's, you know, exercise equipment that's like five or six years old but looks pristinely new and with a thin layer of dust. Um, and there is like Jinko jeans and rollerblades and, and clothing from that one year everybody was into swing. Um, just stuff left over. Um, that you are not super proud of. But you want a clean garage. You want to walk into your garage and say, this is a nice, orderly, good, pure space. But you can't have that unless you take all the crap and just kind of pull it out in the yard and put it on display for all to see and let people rummage through your stuff. And you just sit there like, yeah, just take it. Just take it. Um, Get it out of here. Um, And so... I think this is a really great metaphor for our souls. Um, We want things to be pure. We want things to be clean. We want to purify our souls. The only way we can do this is by revealing ourselves the truth. And so we're going to get into today's passage. It starts right here in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So I'm going to start with, so put away. Um, That's actually one word. Um, It is the word... Apothestai. It's where we get our word apothecary. Everyone say apothestai. Good, good job. You did it. Um, it's where we get our word apothecary, uh, you know, a store where women spend a lot of money on soaps. Um, it's, it's where you buy things to make you clean. Um, and so it has to do with dirt that is covering you, dirty coverings. It could be soiled clothing. It could be um, a layer of mud that needs to be washed off and scraped off. Um, it is removing something. And so Peter writes, if we are going to purify our lives, we, need, we have some things that we need to remove. Um, and the things that he describes are pretty fascinating. There's three in particular that must be understood in the context of Greco-Roman mythology. Um, and then there's, there's two other ones that are very contextual uh, for that day and age for, that has to do with the entertainment um, that usually was centered around Greco-Roman mythology. All right, so um, we're going to start. We're going to do these out of order. I'm going to group them into sort of categories, and we're going to take them like this. There's five words. I'm going to start with the first one here. Uh, the first one is, first thing we need to put away is malice. The Greek word is kakia. Um, it is the mind that acts only for gain. Now, uh, if you were a first century Roman and you heard the word kakia, you would instantly think of this person, the goddess of vice and immorality. Her name is kakia. Um, and... The goddess of vice and immorality is typically portrayed as, in paintings and statues and in stories, as a woman heavily made up, um, scantily clad, and plump, if you will. Um, and uh, she exists solely to tempt people into vice, different sort of vices. And this is typical for Roman personification of sort of character. Um, they would take these different characters and make these stories about them. Um, uh, I guess the jury's kind of out on whether or not they actually believe these characters existed. I, I tend to think that they did. Um, 
Not that they existed, but the people believed. Never. You get it. Um, And so... Kakia, we have all these stories written about her that, that we've, that we've um, salvaged over the years. Um, I have one here. There's a conversation with her and Heracles, and she says this. She says, for to my companions, I give authority to pluck advantage where they will. In other words, um, people who are like me, people who know me, the advantage of, of being like me is that you can see the advantage in everything. If you get a chance, you're going to steal something. If you get a chance to take advantage of somebody, you're going to do it. And then Heracles answers, and he says, lady, pray what is your name? And she says, my friends call me happiness, she said. But among those that hate me, I am nicknamed Kakia. Um, and so people look at her and they see her as happiness and joy. The things that she offers will fulfill and give some kind of ecstasy and joy. But the people who know her deeply, who, who, who have grown to know her intimately, have found that she is evil and they hate her. Um, and so this is sort of a perfect word for Peter to use to describe this. We, we tend to think of malice as uh, has, has to do with gossip, talking bad about people, or just hating people. It's much more than that. It's, it's literally um, not seeing people as loving. Not, seeing, not looking at people in a loving way. Looking at everything around you as something to be taken advantage of. Um, and, and Peter says that's not living by the truth. Um, and so the next word that he, that he uses is the word deceit, the word dolos. Um, this means trickery for personal gain. Um, and true to form, there was a character named Zolos, Dolos. I'm sorry, he was the spirit of trickery and guile. Um, this guy's got some uh, pretty good stories. He, was, uh, um, he, he became a master at, at, at his skill of tricking people. And he attempted, basically what happens is he, um, he makes a statue. Um, he gathers up precious metals and he makes a statue of the goddess of Veritas, the goddess of truth. Um, and, he, and he's not just making a statue. He's making the statue so that people will believe that it actually is Veritas. And they will gather around truth. Um, and they will worship truth. Um, which, metaphorically, is not a terrible thing. It's good. Truth is a great thing. And they want, we want people to gather around truth. But he doesn't have enough um, metal to make the statue. So he runs out. And so he builds the feet of clay. You understand the metaphor there? Um, the people gather around to worship truth. And when the foundation crumbles, when it's revealed in the light of the sun, uh, the sun bakes the clay and it cracks and it topples upon the people and destroys them. And so, in other words, um, Dolos is the person who builds up something and tries to portray it as this is one thing and this is the way things are. And people gather around and they affirm that that's a good thing, only to find out later that that that's actually not at all the real thing. And when it falls down, everyone is destroyed. It hurts everyone. How many of you have this, or, or maybe people you know have this sort of persona that, that they are putting off? It has maybe in real life, maybe online, all of this. Um, they are making themselves look one way and come to find out later on that that's actually not how it is at all. And when the truth comes out, everyone around them is destroyed. Um, Dolos destroys relationships. Dolos um, tricks people into thinking things that are not true, only to later on dash their dreams. Um, How many people have you respected and looked up to only to see them one day fall? And you thought they were the epitome of what you wanted to become, only to find out that there is no one that is perfect like that, that you can look up to. But all this time you had idolized them. 
and now you are destroyed. So many people every year leave the church because of this activity. We can't be honest. For some reason, in our society, we can't be honest. And so the next, um, next character we have here is envy. Thonos. Everyone say Thonos. See? It's fun. Um, resentful longings aroused by others' possessions. Now, um, this is not just, hey, that dude's got a sweet phone and I want it. Um, it's, it's, she's so skinny and pretty, I hate her kind of thing. Right, ladies? <laughs> right? Um, and I've heard it. I've heard it. Oh, she's so skinny and pretty, I hate her. Um, it's, it's not liking people and resenting people because of what they have that you want. Okay. Um, and so the story of Thonos, he is the personification of jealousy and envy. Um, in his story, he has hundreds of wives. And each one of them, he puts to death after accusing them of adultery. Um, there's another story about him that uh, it's actually portrayed in this story here. This is Hera and this is Zeus. Um, and Thonos um, convinces Hera to trick her husband into revealing his glory to her, completely opening up who he is and revealing everything he is, being totally honest and opening his glory up to her. And when he does, it kills her. And so the idea here is the envious person doesn't just want what other people have. He wants to knock them down from having it and take it. The idea is also um, the person who is envious will oftentimes create a safe place for you. Um, They will call it a safe place. And and they will say, hey, you can unload. You You can talk to me. You can... Let me know what's going on in your life. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm offering a listening ear. And then you explain everything to them and you unload. And then they use that against you to destroy you. Envy destroys relationships. Envy, um, it will not let a person rest. Envy will not stop until it has seemingly destroyed everyone that is keeping them from having what they want. Um, the envious person, uh, this starts deep down inside their hearts. This starts at a place where they haven't been feeding their hearts and their souls, um, the things of God, the things of the gospel, and so they are unhappy now with their path. They, are un- they have become unhappy with their life. They can't find joy in what they have, and they are constantly looking at other people. This is what social media is actually best at making you look at the lives of everyone around you and thinking, well, their life is obviously so much better than mine. And you become envious and you talk about them when they're not there. And when you're with them, you pretend to be the best friend and open up and listen. But it's not real. It's not true. We all kind of do this on some level. Um, the envious person is under the illusion, of, is under what I like to call the illusion of the ladder. They look and they see a ladder and they think, I need to climb that ladder. And, and And when I get to the top of that ladder, I will have purpose, fulfillment. I will have accolades. I will have respect. I will finally have riches, all of the things that I want. The ladder could be anything. It could be a job. It could be a salary. It could be the head of an organization. It could be leadership in something. It could even be um, ministry. It could be leadership in a church. It could be a neighborhood that you want to live in. It could be um, a lifestyle you want to have. It could be a group of friends that you are not part of that you would like to be part of. 
Um, it, it could be another man's wife. It could be anything. But the ladder is there, and they think, if I climb that, I will be as happy as everyone who was there and everyone who was there and everyone who has that and, and the guy who's married to her. And, and this is how the envious person thinks. Now, um, you can kind of spot this sometimes through conversations. You'll hear people say things like, must be nice. Uh, in other words, oh, you went to Hawaii. Must be nice. Oh, nice car. Oh, you live over there, huh? Hmm, nice. Hmm, South Tampa. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Must be nice. And, and they will say, must be nice. I have uh, relatives that say constantly, all the time, must be nice to be in ministry. Um, must be nice to make your own schedule. Must be, and, and these kind of conversations, this person cannot be your friend because they are unhappy with their path and they are out to destroy your happiness with your path. You have to realize how destructive this kind of talk is and this kind of behavior. Um, the person who, is, who, is, who finds no... Um, meaningfulness in their path will always be out to destroy the meaningfulness of everyone else's path around them. You have to guard your heart with these people. Um, In a church community, we are all to open ourselves up and to receive what other people have. It's a space of warmth. It is a safe place. It should be a place where we say, there's things that I like about myself and there's things that I just don't like about myself. And here they are. Here's these and here's these. And the other person says, yeah, well, here's some things I like about myself. Here's some things I don't, like, I don't like about myself. And hey, I've been through that. Why don't I help you walk through that? And the other person says, yeah, well, I've been through that. Why don't I help you walk through that? And then we all sort of sharpen each other together. Um, there is no place for you to clam up and listen to everyone else's um, problems, confessions, and then just keep them for later, for when you need them. I have worked with envious people. I have... I have been around envious people. I have, uh, I have seen what envy can do. It is destructive. And the fascinating thing is they never realize that there's actually nothing at the top of the ladder. There's nothing there. When you get to the top of the ladder, you will find that you are just as unhappy as you were at the bottom. I know all kinds of CEOs and all kinds of pastors who, when you talk to them, um, they have stories to tell about people trying to climb the ladder and knock them off the ladder. And they say, I don't know what they want. There's nothing up here except a bunch of people that are envious trying to knock me down. There's nothing at the top that will make you happy if you can't find happiness in your own situation now. If you can't find peace and joy in the fact that there is an infinite God who is showering down blessings upon you and with you at this very moment. Um, The next word that we find um, is the word hypocrisy. It is the, the Greek word hypocrisis. It literally means a stage actor, someone who gets paid to put on a mask and a dress and to act like there's something that they're not. Um, it's, there's lots of different ways that this can take form. We've actually sort of touched on a few of them. Um, when Watermark was smaller, when we were pro- about five years ago, we were about 80 people or so, I, I, I used to catch wind of conversations that were happening um, that were people from other churches that would, that would talk about us in a certain way. See, we've always strived to have what we call a community of confession where we're open and honest. Um, if you can't be honest in the church, I don't know where you can. 
um, where you just kind of say, you tell people, you find other people who are priests of God, that's what Christians are, and you, and you sit with the priests and, and you say, I need to confess this and this and this. And we would have open conversations about um, our struggles and our sins and our doubts and our skepticism about institutionalized Christianity. And, and all of these conversations were happening and people were coming from the outside and saying, uh, um, I heard somebody talking about Watermark and they were saying that, that so many people in our church do this and this and this and this. And I would listen and now the first thing you want to do is get very defensive. But then you realize... No, I mean, these things are based on reality. We're all sinners. We're all broken people. And I, I don't think we're any different in our struggles and our sins and our doubts than any other church. I just maybe think we're being honest. And I, I think that we're not closing it off. I mean, as the church has grown, it's sort of closed up a bit, but we're still trying to maintain this open heart thing. Um, everyone is broken. Everyone. That person that you idolize who has probably admittedly put on a show, who has dressed up and pretended to be something, this holy thing that they probably aren't, um, they're a broken person. They're just as broken as you. We're all broken people, and we need to learn to be honest about this. And the next word we have is, it, it kind of transitions into this, katalalia. It's actually two words. Kata means lowering um, lalia is the word for movement of the tongue. It even sounds like that. Lalia, it's, it's, it's talking. It's speech designed to bring people down. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus did. It's the exact, Jesus went to the lowest and he lifted them up. He was not into cutting people down. The gospel has nothing to do with bringing people down. It, has, it puts everybody on level footing. Um, and so <clears throat> slander is speech which lowers people. And so this would be gossip. This would be, um, this would be part of envy. This would be part of, of, um, of, what, we, of what we've already talked about. Um, the whole idea here, guys, is that if we are going to be followers of Jesus, if we are going to, as it said in verse 22, clean up our lives, if we are going to have pure souls, lives that are clean and organized and healthy and and filled up so that we can pour out for other people, then there is no place for stories. There is no place for trickery. There is no place for actors. There is no place for ladders. There's none of that. We cannot have these. These things we have to take off, and we have to start being honest about who we are. Um, Genesis chapter 28, uh, if you remember back a little ways, there's the story of Jacob. And Jacob wanted so badly to be somebody. He wanted so badly to have this influence. He wanted so badly to leave a legacy. And we find Jacob in the middle of nowhere, and he is nobody, and he doesn't have anything. It says that he lays down to take a nap, and he puts his head on a rock. That's the epitome of, like, I got nothing. Can't even roll up, like, a towel. Okay? Here's a rock. I'll just sleep on that. Um, and he has nothing, but he has these huge dreams about climbing the ladder, of getting recognition, of, of just being this massive sort of pharaoh-like figure. And he falls asleep, and when he falls asleep, God comes to him in a vision, and he sees the ladder. And the ladder is there, and there's angels, and God is there. And the ladder is not for him to climb up, it is for God to come down. The ladder 
has nothing to do with Jacob's ability. The latter has nothing to do with what he has accomplished or where he has to go. God comes down to Jacob, and Jacob realizes in that moment that he is in the most important place on the planet in the presence of God, that he is suddenly the most important person in the world, at least in the eyes of God, which is really what matters. And he realizes he's hearing things from God that are the most important things you could ever hear. And all of this changes him. And he wakes up and he says, surely God was in this place and I never knew it. People who are unhappy in their journey don't realize that God is in that place. They have no idea that God is with them and God looks at them as vitally important. Um, A thousand years later, in that same place, around that mountain range, God would come in the form of you and me. He would be called God with us. We would call him Jesus. And he would suffer and die on a cross right there. And he would come down that ladder to us. And all those filthy things that Peter says we need to take off, he gathers them up and he makes them his. Um, This same chapter we're studying a little later says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Uh, Do you hear what he's saying here? He's saying all those filthy things that you need to take off, Jesus actually came and took them and put them on himself. And then what happens? He is stripped naked for all to see his shame and he is humiliated and hung up in front of everyone and put to death. He took your sin and exposed himself to everyone so that you could be free of the things that you're hiding. Right, right, Cutter, yeah. If, if you are going to purge these things in, that are in your life, we all have these things that we've wanted to get rid of for a long, long time, and you've been working at it, and you've been working at it, it just never seems to go away. It's probably because you're kind of hiding it. It's hidden, it's dark in there. And you cannot clean out the garage unless you open the door and pull everything out. It's just gonna stay there. You can't clean a place in the dark. You must let the light in. You must pull it out. You must... Let the sun shine on it. Uh, uh, The word aletheia that he uses, we must, if you want to purify your life, you have to be obedient to the truth. The foundation must be strong. The the truth is our guide, always our guide. And and if you want these things to be purged from your life, if you want to have a purified, organized, wholly different life, then we have to be honest and we have to confess. Um, Scriptures talk about this a lot when you come to Christ. It talks about confessing your sins. It talks about repentance. It talks about um, how Jesus is the light. Um, it, it, all of this, it's all there. And so I don't know what all of this means for all of us, for each and every one of you, but I, I think that we can stop with the facade. I think that we can be honest. And I think it'll be okay. And you worry about, well, maybe... If I'm honest, then they won't want to be close to me anymore. That means they've fallen in love with something that is not real. It is a facade. You have built a statue to veritas, if you will. And the foundation that it is on is made of clay. And if the light ever shines on it, the whole thing is going to crumble. And so go ahead and knock it down yourself. Say, this isn't who I am. I want you to know who I am. And that's when intimacy can really happen, when we're being being honest. And intimacy is what leads to 
happiness and joy and connection. So why don't we spend some time and we're going to take communion and we're going to... Um, I don't know if there's something you need to confess to somebody, maybe gather with some other Christians that you know and trust that will be open and honest with you and talk to them and pray with them. If you need prayer, out through these doors to the left is the prayer room. Um, Ask that God would maybe shine a light on your heart and reveal some things to you that you need to purge from your life. Um, If you want to live a holy life, um, the followers of Jesus are supposed to strive to purge our life from these things that are unhealthy. And this is all part of our sanctification. It's not just this one-day thing. It's a long journey. So why don't we pray, and we're going to take communion. Our communion servers will be set up, and we're going to pray and, uh, and uh, ask God to reveal what he needs to do to us. Father, we love you. We thank you for everything that you are, everything that you have done for us, revealing yourself fully to us, not being ashamed of 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 taking our sins upon yourself and dying a horrible death in our place and putting our sins to death so that we can stand and say, I don't know why I'm hiding this from others. I know about it and God knows about it and that's what really matters. And God has forgiven us and so help us, God, to be honest. Help us to, to tear down the facades And let this be a start to something that really changes the outside world's view of the church. They rightfully think that we are hypocrites, that we are liars, and that we don't really believe what we say we do. And chances are some of that is right. Allow our eyes to be open to see that. We love you, God. In your name. Amen. So take some time and uh, talk to Jesus.